Good morning. Welcome to week number four of our eight-week series entitled Soul Shepherd, an expedition through the 23rd Psalm. Now that we're approaching the halfway point, we should probably review what it is that we've covered thus far and why it is that we're even doing this sermon series. The goal of this sermon series is to ensure that everyone who attends Island Baptist Church or who's participating via these virtual worship services knows for sure that they know personally Jesus as their soul shepherd. And why that? Why that now at this unique time in the history of our country and in our world? Well, it's because Jesus said that when he returns, he's going to separate the entire world into two categories, only two. And he called those categories, category one, the sheep, those who know him. And category two, the goats, those who didn't know him. I'd like you to see for yourself, I've mentioned this before in the previous sermons, but I'd like you to see for yourself the actual words of Jesus that inspired me to begin this sermon series three weeks ago. Here's what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? What are they saying? We knew you. We went to church. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's his main point there? He's inviting people to ask themselves two questions. Do I know him? And does he know me? That's the big idea. That's the main point Jesus wanted to get across. Let me ask you. Do you know him? And does he know you? That's the big idea of this message. I'm an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. And so as one of his under-shepherds, one of my goals is to help people know the shepherd and to make sure that they know him. And so I thought, how should I do that? What's the best way to do that? What's the best place to go in his word to help people gain that assurance? Well, there's a man who testified, the Lord is my shepherd. And then the Lord later on said, yes, that's a man after my own heart. Of course, you know, I'm talking about David. And so I thought, well, there's a testimony of a man who says, I know the shepherd and the shepherd saying, yes, I know him. There's our model. So I'm taking our church through the 23rd Psalm because it's a testimony of a man who knows the shepherd and who is known by the shepherd. Let's review what we've done thus far. In week number one, we began by examining the soul satisfying shepherd. Here's the question in case you missed it. Do you know Jesus as the ultimate object of your soul's desire? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Week number two, we moved on to the second verse of the 23rd Psalm, which brought us face to face with the soul soothing shepherd. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus as the one who calms the anxieties of your heart and mind and soothes the worries of your heart and mind? Do you know him? Does he know you? 
Week number three, last Sunday, the soul-restoring shepherd. Here's the question I want everybody to consider. Do you know Jesus as the one who has made your soul into something new? Because that's what he claims. When you know him, he converts your soul into something new. And then he spends the rest of your life keeping it that way. Do you know him? Do you know the soul-restoring shepherd? Well, this week, now that we're approaching the halfway point, week number four, I'd like us to look at the second half, the remainder of verse number three, and there we'll come face to face with the fourth expression of the soul shepherd, the soul steering shepherd. Before I introduce you to him, why don't we pray and go to him together? Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, dear God, our great father in heaven, whom we have access to and confident access because of the Son who has given us His Spirit that resides in us not only as a down payment on our souls, but also as access to the Son. The Spirit groans with groanings too deep for words and the Son understands those groanings and He goes and petitions the Father on our our behalf. How great is prayer. What a mystery. What a marvelous mystery. Oh, dear God, the power of prayer is something all of us takes lightly. But I pray in this moment that you would hear my prayer in this empty building as an echo of the hearts of your people of Island Baptist Church. Let us all come to you with one deep groan made by the Spirit of God on behalf of your people here. We want to reunite together, all of us together, whether it's in heaven, in the air, as Jesus has promised to call us one day, or whether it's here in this building, should he tarry. We don't care, Lord. We just long to be together. We long to be with him, the lover of our souls, the shepherd of our souls. And so until he calls us home, Lord, teach us how to be sheep. (laughs) Teach us how to be obedient sheep, sheep that love and adore our shepherd. Help us to see him now. This next expression of his wonder and glory and majesty. Help us to see the soul steering a shepherd. In this text from the testimony of David, a man who knew you. So we commit ourselves to that end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now that much we've covered already. Here is our portion for today. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his namesake. Allow me to show you where I see the soul steering shepherd. And why I entitled this particular facet of Jesus. The soul steering shepherd. David says that the shepherd who is tending to his soul, is moving him or leading him or guiding him, some translations say, down a path, a path. What David knows about shepherding is that flocks constantly need to be moved down paths to different pastures. If a flock is left on their own uh, to do as they please, they will destroy or ruin the environment in which they live. And so they constantly need to be 
steered. Steering is a term that's not only used by shepherds, but also by cowboys who move cattle from one place to another. It's a word which indicates that someone is controlling the movement of a herd or flock. Everything that lives, everything, is on a path moving somewhere towards some destination. And nothing can move without a force, something that is driving it, some spirit, some something pushing it, everything that, that lives. The human soul is no different. The human soul is on a path. It's moving somewhere. Jesus said that every single human soul, past, present, and future, is on either one of two paths. That's it. There's only two. And that path will go on for eternity. Listen to what he said about this. Jesus said in Matthew 7, speaking about the human soul, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way or path, some translations say, that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the way or the path that leads to life and only a few find it. Do you know what it is that Jesus had in mind when he said, enter through the narrow gate, here's what he had in mind. Jesus is saying, those who know the shepherd that David knew are being steered down a narrow path and then through a narrow gate. And what's on the other side of that gate? What's in that pasture? It's God. Those who follow him down the narrow path and down that bumpy, sometimes treacherous road They do so because they believe that what's waiting for them on the other side is what they've been after all their life. It's God. Whatever path someone is on, they're on that path because they believe it will lead them somewhere good. Which path are you on? I mean it. Stop. Just wherever you are, just think this through. What path are you on? The only reason... You're on that path is because you believe that at the end, there's something good waiting for you. Even if it means you're going down a hard part of the path right now, you keep walking because you believe this is eventually going to lead me to what I desire most. Do you understand? The only reason his sheep follow him, the only thing that's appealing to them is because they believe his word. 
They believe him, the shepherd, the shepherd of their souls, when they say, when he says to them, follow me because I am the gate that leads back to Eden, where God is, where you were designed to walk with him morning, afternoon, evening, and into the night. We won't walk that wide path. Do you know why? Because if we walk that wide path, we know that it means forfeiting our souls. Even if we gain the whole world, what will we profit us? The narrow path gives us what we desire most, and it's God. The shepherd steers those souls who belong to him. And he doesn't steer us against our will. He steers us willingly because he's leading us to what we've been seeking all our lives. God. And he's the only way to him. In this 23rd Psalm, the third verse, the last part of it, David reveals three functions, three functions of this path. Like, why this path, Jesus? Why the Calvary Road path? Why the cross-carrying path? What's going to happen on this path? Well, here's why the shepherd has chosen the path that he's chosen for us. Three reasons. One, he's chosen this path for the individual sheep's transformation, yours and mine. This path is also for the flock's preservation and for the shepherd's reputation. I see that all in what David said about the soul-steering shepherd that he knew. Each of these functions is right there in that little statement of David. Let me take you through them one at a time. Beginning with function number one, the soul shepherd steers his sheep for each sheep's transformation. He leads me. He leads me. This is personal and individual. That's all I want to look at. I don't want to talk about paths of righteousness yet or for his namesake yet. He leads me. The purpose of being led by a shepherd is so that the sheep will begin to think and act like the shepherd is training him to act. He leads my soul, which means someone is leading you. You call yourself the follower. I'm the learner. You're the teacher. I'm the pupil. You're the disciple maker. Not the other way around. When Jesus met his first followers and called them, you come follow me. Look at what happened. Here's how it all started. Jesus walks up to where they're fishing and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Please don't miss one of the key components of what Jesus says it means to be his follower. It's caught in that little phrase, and I will make you. 
Jesus is not interested in attracting fans. He's in the business of transforming people. He calls these fishermen and he says, if you're going to follow me down this path, you better get used to change because I'm going to transform your entire life. I'm going to change your soul, transform it. A metamorphosis is going to happen on the inside. You're not going to be who you once were. Your whole life is about to change. It's what it means. He will make you into something completely different. Do you know, many people disqualify themselves from being a Christ follower. And you might ask, what in the world would ever disqualify someone from wanting to follow Christ? It's actually very simple. They don't want to be led. They want to lead. They don't like the idea of someone changing them. I'll follow Jesus, and he can, you know, he can make a few adjustments, but I'm happy the way I am. I don't want to be changed. So they come into this relationship with Jesus with conditions. They want to define the relationship. So people will come to him and say things like, look, Jesus, this is where I want to go in my life. This is the plans I have for my life. This is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to feel like. This is where I want to live. This is the kind of job I want to have. And so lead on, shepherd. As long as you lead me where I want to go. Well, that isn't an option for Jesus. You follow me. He leads me, David says. And so, believe it or not, Jesus turned away many people from following him. He flat out told them, you're not ready to follow me. I want to show you just three occasions. I've shown it to you before, but now's the time to see it again. Here's what Jesus said when three different people came to him and asked to be his follower. Take a look. Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying? Look, I'm homeless. Some of the animals and birds have it better than I do. To another, so here's man number two. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He turned them all away. He turned them all away. And why? Because they came with conditions. They wanted to define the relationship with Jesus. And he said, if you're going to be in this relationship, I lead you. Just like David said, he leads me. The path that the soul shepherd leads each individual sheep It's going to mean an exchange, an exchange of values. It's going to mean an exchange that's going to look different between every sheep. The exchange that he asks you to make in your life, your value system, will be very different than the exchange he asks me to make. But make no mistake, to follow Jesus is to make an exchange of values. When his first disciples heard the call to follow him, 
immediately they were presented with a dilemma. Keep fishing or follow this man that they've really never met personally down a new path. Did you see? Look at Matthew chapter 4 again and look at what he presented them with. They had a choice and look how they responded. So Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And it says, immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And then when he went on to James and John, look what they did. Immediately they left the boat and their father. So there's a new allegiance that's greater even than your family. Listen closely to me, Christian. Following the soul shepherd is going to mean an exchange must take place. There's no question about it. We don't get to define the conditions. He does. You must exchange the path that you're on for his path. And we must trust him when he says that his path is far more gratifying because on his path, you will come face to face with the pleasures that are at the right hand of God. And they will make the exchange, what you gave up to follow him down that path, pale by way of comparison. The only way this is possible, that any human being would ever choose willingly to follow Jesus down the Calvary road that leads to a cross, denying the pleasures of this life for greater eternal pleasures, the only way someone can do that is by seeing plain reality. Here's how it works. A person has to ask, do I want the grass or do I want the one who made the grass? Do I want the still waters? Is that what I'm going to spend my life chasing after? Or do I want the one who made the still waters? The sheep who truly know the soul shepherd. Follow him because he is leading them to what they crave most. What's waiting for them behind that narrow gate and down that narrow road is God. And God is what we crave most. If we got the shepherd and not the grass, the beautiful lush pastures, if we got the shepherd but not the cool waters, the calm waters, the still waters, would you still want him? That's a question every single Christian needs to ask. For four weeks now, I've been asking these two questions. Do you know him and does he know you? Well, this week I want you to ask yourself two related questions that will help you get to the bottom of that answer. Two related questions about who it is that's really leading in this relationship. I've put these questions on your screen. And I'm asking you, please, do some introspection here. First, are you following him or are you asking him to follow you? Come on, reality time. Look at your prayer life. Is it more, Lord, this is what I want. Now, I'll follow you as long as you get it for me. Or is your prayer life more, Lord, what do you want? Lead me, lead away, dear shepherd, and I will go wherever you lead. The time has come for reality. Second question, who's steering who in this relationship? I mean your daily decisions. Who's really steering your life? Be honest. Be honest before him today. Do you know the soul steering shepherd? 
Is your life being transformed? Is your heart and your mind being transformed? Every sheep that knows him is in the process. They're walking down the path of having their deepest desires transformed so that what they desire most is God. All they want in life is to be back in paradise with him. The way it was supposed to be. There's a second function to this path. A second reason why Jesus leads his sheep down this path. And this is a really important one. Function number two. The soul shepherd steers his sheep for the flock's preservation. So here's what you're going to learn. I want to give you a little preview. Jesus steers the individual sheep for the benefit, the mutual benefit of the whole flock. And this is in, I've got to dig a little bit to show you, but this is in David's statement. So he doesn't just lead the sheep. Look, where, look what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now follow me close here. It would be just as fitting to define this path of righteousness that David says the shepherd is leading him down. To define it in any one of these ways. He leads me down the right path. The good path. The wise path. The divine path. The straight path. The just path. As a matter of fact, some translations actually say, He leads me down the just path. The holy path. The path of truth. Or the worthy path. Church, the path He's leading the sheep down is the path back to Eden. The place where justice and truth and order and harmony rule and reign. That's the path we're on. The whole flock is in view here. When David said, he leads me down paths of righteousness, I'm telling you from a shepherd's point of view, the whole flock is in David's view here. And let me explain to you why that is absolutely a fact. David is again thinking as a sheep who would, given his own way, constantly find his way back to Bathsheba's. If David was left to his own desire, he would always carve his path back down a path of destruction. And he would destroy himself. That's the path that every sheep takes if left on their own. It's the path of destruction. When one sheep goes down the wrong path, the wide path as Jesus called it, well, eventually other sheep are going to follow him down that path. It's a given. Sheep are known to constantly feed on one particular area until someone moves them. And when they do this, they will ruin the path. They will eat and eat and eat all the way down to the root and they will destroy that area. So here's the underlying truth that David, a shepherd, understands that we must understand from a shepherd's point of view. Every individual sheep is being led by the shepherd, but for the preservation of the whole flock. Let's get to the heart of the matter here. One stray sheep who goes his own way, will lead others astray. There's no such thing as a sheep of the soul shepherd who decides to live in disobedience that does not affect the rest of the flock. And Jesus had some very severe words 
for someone who leads one of his sheep astray. Take a look on your screen. Matthew chapter 18. Whoever causes one of these little ones, he doesn't mean children, he means new Christians. Could be a 60-year-old. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Seems to me like Jesus has the preservation of the whole flock in mind. Doesn't it seem that way to you? Our American ideology of individualism has created a kind of church culture which doesn't give much attention to how individual sins, especially our private sins, the ones that we think are hidden, how they affect the rest of the flock. We think, ah, this isn't affecting anybody. That's a lie. There's no such thing as a sin that doesn't affect somebody. It keeps you from loving God and it keeps you from fully loving people with abandon. We don't think that way, but Jesus does. Jesus does. And he will protect all of his sheep, even if it means protecting them from another sheep. We get regular lessons about this kind of love from someone in our household. It's our dog, Cooper. Cooper is our three-year-old Brittany Spaniel. And we specifically set out to buy a kind of dog that has a temperament like Cooper's, who loves his family unconditionally and is loyal and is good with children. Well, Cooper has shown us a particular aspect of love that I thought was really apropos of the soul shepherd and the way that he cares for his sheep. Whenever I'm playing rough with the kids, like horseplay, like wrestling with my son Logan who's 12 or playing like that, Cooper doesn't seem to like it. He doesn't understand what's going on. And he thinks I'm hurting them. And so Cooper will change his posture and try to come in between me and my son or my daughter. Even when I'm engaging in a passionate kiss with my wife in the kitchen or a hug with my wife, he doesn't like it and he won't let me do it. And so he comes and tries to get in between us. He will bark and even nip at me and grab a hold of me, barking until I let them go. If my son will play with my daughter, roughhousing, just messing around, horseplay, Cooper does the same thing to him. It's because he loves us enough to protect us even from someone else that he loves. Do you see the comparison? The soul shepherd's commitment to love you is so strong that he will protect you even from others that he loves. But be aware, he will also protect all of his sheep from you when you sin and you think it goes unnoticed. Your sin has not gone unnoticed. It is affecting the rest of the flock. And he will protect the flock even from you. That's how deep his love goes. Oh yes, he is leading the individual sheep down a path of transformation. He is leading the individual sheep down, path, down into paths of righteousness but make no mistake these paths are designed for the preservation of the whole flock that's the second function of this path that jesus is leading all of his sheep down our third and final function for today the soul shepherd steers his sheep for his reputation what's the ultimate goal of all this 
What's the main point of this path? The glory of the name of the shepherd. Look at how David concludes this statement in verse number three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What is that? The good name of the shepherd is his reputation. That's what that means. A shepherd who allows his flock to roam as they please and feed as they please is a shepherd of bad rapport. He's a shepherd who's not trusted in the community. He's someone who's seen as careless and lazy with his flock. And he has a bad reputation. Their name has been tarnished because of the way they care for their sheep. Or I should say, the lack of care for their sheep. So David is saying, the shepherd leads us the way that he does for his own reputation. For the glory of his name. I read just this week that many of the world's finest sheep ranges have been ruined beyond repair because of poor management and ignorance on the part of the shepherd. This is why the Spirit of God gave David the knowledge of a shepherd from his youth. To help us understand the motive that drives a shepherd to care for his flock so conscientiously. It's because his name is at stake. His reputation. You know, one of the most noteworthy things that I've discovered in my own personal study of God is theology. One of the most noteworthy things that I've discovered is his passion for his own name. Take a look at just a few examples. Isaiah 48. For my own namesake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. Ezekiel 36, 21. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Another one from Ezekiel. But for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived. And in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites. According to Jesus himself, God's name is to be hallowed. Or set apart. Or made distinct from all other names. The apostles went on to say, the name of Jesus is to be hallowed too. Take a look in Acts chapter 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And why did they hallow the name of Jesus? It's because he told them to. Jesus himself hallowed his own name when he made it equal with the name of the Father and the Spirit. Matthew 28, you know the verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Of the Father. That's hallowed. And of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit. To hallow a name is to make it distinguished. To set it apart as reverent above every other name. And Jesus is saying the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit are all to be equally hallowed on the lips of man. Do you understand why this is such a key function of the path that the shepherd is leading you down? Do you understand why this is an essential, non-negotiable part of the path 
the shepherd has been leading his flock down for all of human history? Well, to understand why this is such a key part of the story of the church, why this is such a key part of your story, that his name be hallowed, let me take you to the very, very end of the story. Let me show you where all this is leading, where your path is leading. It's at the very, very last chapter of human history. Revelation chapter 22. Look what it says is the final outcome of all of his sheep. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be within the city. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Do you understand why this is so significant? It means that Jesus puts his signature on you. It means that at the very, very end of your story, your story, the ups and the downs, the victories and the defeats, the suffering, the tears, the wedding, the funeral, the birth, the death, The day you got the job, the day you lost the job. At the end of that masterpiece, as Ephesians calls it, he will sign his signature. Do you understand why this should bring you such great assurance? It's because he puts his name at stake for the story of your life. Because it's his story. He's writing it. At the end of your life of faith, the author and perfecter of that faith will receive the glory that's due his name. This ought to bring you great assurance. Christian, he is steering you, one of his sheep, for your own sake. He is steering you for the sake of the preservation of his flock. He is steering you for his own name's sake, so trust him for heaven's sake. Father, Thank you for the shepherd of our souls who leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. May he receive all the glory and honor that is due his name. Now as we sing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand wherever you are and join us as we sing the praises of his name.